Well, Paul is in the process of ending this letter to Timothy, but he, he's having several endings. Um, you know, he's a pastor, you know, it's like, oh, now our first conclusion, <laughs> second conclusion, third conclusion. Uh, and so he's, he's in the process of concluding this letter to this young protege, Timothy. Last week, he, he had some stuff to say about money and then money and preachers. But he said there in 1 Timothy 6, 6, godliness combined with contentment is great gain for any person. Being godly. But then even though we're on this earth and like Lot, our righteous soul is vexed every day, often, we still need to find ourselves content with what we don't have or what we do have or want more or just to say, I don't need any more. I just need heaven. I need to get out of this new body, this body and get in my new body and, and be in the presence of God. That's the only thing that will satisfy me. And then he also said in 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith and the greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So boy, we have two pendulums, one on each side here. In verse six, godliness, contentment is great gain. On the other end, those who want, maybe poor, wanting to get rich, maybe rich and wanting to get richer, it, it doesn't matter. They end up piercing themselves through with many sorrows. Some of these people are believers and have completely derailed themselves off the track of following the Lord. Still Christians, that's not in question. They're just not walking with the Lord. And, and the world is out there, the devil is out there, drowning them, piercing them through as they're trying to attain to the next level of wealth. The bigger car, the better car, the bigger house, the more expensive vacations, whatever they are. And, and they have just a lot of grief rather than joy, rather than the joy of godliness with contentment, the, the real wealth in this human body, being godly and needing nothing more. And Paul said in there, get to the place, food, clothing, nothing more. That's it. I got enough food for today, I won't worry about tomorrow. I got enough clothes to keep me warm and uh, I won't worry about tomorrow. And, uh, and I'll tell you, it's, it's, a, it's a freeing, wonderful place. I, I remember back during the Y2K, people were so freaked out. I mean, a year, two years in advance. And they were just terrified, you know, and the water wouldn't work, the electricity wouldn't work, sewage wouldn't work, all the you know, the Y2K, the computers were supposed to reboot and it was going to destroy them all. And I had people telling me, we got to get everybody to, you know, 50 gallon drum of, of uh, rice and, you know, all this dried meat. And we got, everybody's got to have at least six months of food. And, and of course, lots of guns because you always need guns. <laughs> and, uh, and I had so many single moms living in a rough area of town. They lived in a little apartment. They wouldn't have 50, uh, any room for 50 pound drums of rice, even if they, somebody, it was just, I finally just said, look, stop this. We're just all going to come to church and everything we've wanted to happen will happen. You need some just 
fun time off work, you're going to have it because everything's shut down. You're wanting to lose weight. We don't have any food, so you're going to all lose weight. <laughs> You've been wanting to spend a lot of time outside. You know, you keep telling your kids you're going to go camping. We're just going to do it here. Just bring your tents and we'll just, you know, you're going to take your kids camping. You're going to have vacation. You're going to lose weight. We're going to worship and pray all day. And then we're going to die and go to heaven. So that's our Y2K plan, if you need to know it. And it's sort of like that here. It's sort of like, you know what? Just get your eyes on the Lord. We're going to be as fruitful as we can. We're going to love. We're going to serve. We're going to give. We're going to help. We're going to pray. We're going to share our faith. We're, we're going to pray for the sick. We're going to visit those who are in prison and in and, and, and the hospital and and we're just going to be fruitful, fruitful, fruitful. And, and all we need is food and clothing. Anything above that is, is icing on the cake. And then the Lord's either going to come back or we're going to die of old age and go be with the Lord. That's it. That's, that's all earth is to me. It's just a, uh, you know, a stopover place where we're waiting for the bus to come. It's just a bus stop. This isn't our home. We're pilgrims and strangers here. David said, blessed is the man who sets his heart on pilgrimage. And that's in essence what he's going to be telling us here tonight. Now, we've got that picture. And now he says in verse 11, but you. In contrast to these guys that are teaching godliness is a way to get rich. Especially those who are peddling this sermon. And it's right there in the Bible, isn't it? Just as clear as day. We looked at it last week. Those people who tell you that living godly and the way they're preaching the gospel is the way to get everybody rich, especially those who are preaching it. He says right there, stay away from those guys. Those guys are heretics. They are not of God. But yet, you talk to the people in the health and wealth Today, they just don't see that verse applying whatsoever. And that makes me wonder, God, am I reading verses and not wanting them to apply to my situation? Because, boy, that's you first. But Timothy, you're not such a person peddling the word of God, but you, in contrast to those teachers that are teaching Godliness is a means of gain to try to get rich materialistically. And that's a sign of God's blessing on your life. You, in contrast, don't be that way. But you are a man of God. Could you imagine Timothy reading those words from his mentor, the great apostle Paul? Here I've been this dumb little teenager hanging out with Paul for years and I've grown into a man and I'm over here pastoring this church. I don't want to pastor and, and I, I feel like I'm barely hanging on and, and Paul says, Timothy, you're a man of God. You'd be surprised it says that quite a few times in the Bible. It says Moses is a man of God. Joshua is a man of God. Samuel's a man of God. David is called a man of God. But this is the last time anybody in the Bible is called the man of God. Timothy here by the Apostle Paul. In essence, he's saying you are different. And it should stand out how you're 
different. Now, Paul was different. Paul was a man of God. And a matter of fact, in this money issue, he actually says in Acts 20, verse 33 to 35, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, Paul said. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided my necessities and for those who are with me. In many places, he did not take money when he was there. He, he would make tents and, and work hard to take care of all the finances of not just himself, but his whole party, his entourage that was with him. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it's more blessed to give than receive. There's the words of Jesus that were not, not found in the Gospels, but they are found here in the book of Acts. I do know that sometimes pastors are found guilty by association. When I first started pastoring back in 84, and I was 24 years at the time, 24 years old, that was when the bakers went down. Do you guys remember the PTL scandal? That guy, he went to prison and all of that. And then a few months later, Swagger, Jimmy Swagger had, had a big blow up. And, and, and it was just front page news. It was a slow news cycle for six months. And it was just the front page news all the time about these guys who are millionaires and got girlfriends and, you know, dog houses that have air conditioning and heating and, and gold faucets and gold toilets. I guess that's what you do when you got a lot of money, you make gold toilets. And, 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 an, and, and, and the inference was, don't trust pastors. And I'll tell you what, I, I felt it. It's like, what do you do for a living? I'm um, a teacher. Teach what? Mm, Bible. <laughs> because you could feel people hating on you by just association. And I'd say, look, I am nothing like those guys. I think those guys are heretics for doing what they do. I think it's wrong, them paying themselves millions of dollars. I, just, I don't agree with anything. It didn't matter. And then, even though I was 24 years old, it's sort of like, you know, what 25 years of baggage do you have? It's like, I wasn't born yet. You know, I don't have that. Uh, I've only been a pastor like four weeks now. But, there was just this skepticism and this feeling of like, yeah, what, what are you hiding? You know, it was, it was a hard season. And I'm sure to some degree, Timothy had that. And he's saying, you, oh man of God, you're not like those guys. And people may, you know, find you guilty, Timothy, by association. But even though they call themselves Christian pastors, you're not so don't allow them to get in your head and don't allow yourself to get caught up with these things. But flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. O man of God, be a man of God. Different from these charlatans. Flee these things. There's a whole list of them in the first 10 verses. I don't want to go back and, and rehash it. Interesting, the word flee here in the Greek, fugeo, is we get our word fugitive from it. And it literally means to flee or to seek safety by flight. 
the fugitive, you're fleeing, you're running away. You know, you know what I think of when I hear fugitive, right? Anybody want to guess? The Charleston Hudson movie, the fugitive, yeah. He's running from Tommy Lee Jones the whole time. And the guy who really did it, the man with one arm. I, I, I hate to even bring that up. I, but that movie, he was fleeing the whole time. But here he's saying you've got to run. And interesting, it's in the future tense. So he's saying you've you got to run and you've got to keep running. I think of Joseph. Remember Potiphar's wife tried to get him into bed? And, and he finally, she got her hands on him and he's like, uh, no, no, no. And he lets go of his jacket and runs. This literally runs. And, and that's the word here, flee, just run. And in the future, realize you're going to have to run again. Paul, in a, in an interesting, specifically says this in 1 Corinthians 6.18. He specifically says, flee from fornication. In 1 Corinthians 10.14, he says, flee idolatry. In 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lust. He should also say, flee old man's lust. There's just lust that never quits, isn't there? So in this world and in our flesh, we, we live by daily walking through landmines. We must, must not close, we must not doze off and forget that we have many targets aimed right at us. Satan is calculating us, isn't he? He's like a roaring lion waiting to see whom he can devour. We've got to be ready to flee, man. The enemy, he's, he's got those fiery darts trying to figure out how to sink us and, and discourage us and to get us to fall into some stupid fleshly thing. Deuteronomy 5.32, Therefore you shall be careful to do all that the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. I like that. There's just a continual straight line of hearing God and obey him taking a day at a time so we got to be ready to flee these things but then the next thing he tells us is pursue these things flee and pursue now interesting here the word pursue in the Greek is actually the word persecute persecute righteousness persecute Godliness. <laughs> what does it mean? It, it means that there is going to be this, this hostile takeover. It's a pursuit in a hostile manner. It's like a lion going after its prey. It's not formal or like a gentlemanly pursuit. This is like a wild beast in the heat of the battle or a, a wild man in the heat of battle just... Love those scenes, those movies where the, everybody's slinging their swords and their shields and clanging and they're just sweating. And this is what the picture is. We're having to fight in a savage way for righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Do you ever feel that way? You make it through a day and you feel like, I didn't do that much, but I am exhausted and you just sort of get up sometimes those mornings. You can just see there's like 10 demons 
lined up to take you down today. Today, you're, you, you were on the calendar a month ago. You were the plan. Slow you down. Weaken you. Attack your marriage. Attack your holiness. Attack your health. Attack your finances. Whatever I need to do to, to, to try to get you thwarted. So on one hand, we're like the gazelle fleeing. On the other hand, we're like the lion pursuing. So we're fleeing that lion, the devil. We're fleeing that lion, our flesh, and worldliness, and greed, and the love of money, and comfort, and all those things that money can buy. Because we, we realize that the love of money is the root of all evil. If he can, if he can get us with that green-eyed monster wanting a little bit more, he, he can really do some damage in our life. In particular, keep us from being fruitful, but worst case scenario, drown us and pierce us through with many sorrows. Flee. On the other hand, it's not going to be this nice little casual thing and, oh, I'm being righteous and, oh, I'm being loving and, oh, I'm being godly. He's like, it's not that way. Our flesh, there's no good thing that dwells in it. And there's a battle in store And if you want to live a righteous life, you're going to have to savagely pursue it and fight for it. Fight to live righteously. Fight to live godly. Fight to live by faith and love and patience and gentleness. So instead of pride and riches, Timothy was to make these things his pursuit. These are the things often that that the world says has no value in our present age but actually are the most valuable things in our age, according to God. Isn't that amazing? There's there's, there's no value on righteousness or godliness or, or in all these things, being patient and gentle, full of faith and love. But great value if you're rich and you drive a car that shows that you're rich. And you live in a house that tells us all that we should be impressed by you. And we are. Gell Irwin used to always say, don't tell me you have a lot of money because then I'll really like you. This challenge is to leave some things and then follow hard after some other things. And of course, it isn't just directed to Timothy. It's really speaking to every one of us to be men of God, women of God, and opposed being men and women of the world. The first thing there is righteousness, having integrity, virtue, purity, life, a rightness, a correctness, a correctness in your thinking, your feelings, your acting. A very simple way, Paul says it this way in Romans 6.13. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You know, when people have a heart attack or a, a, um, what's that thing that happens in your brain? A stroke, yes. I couldn't remember that. It tells you me. So... You have a stroke and you die and you come out of that and then you can't use part of your body. In essence, he's saying here, 
that when we die in Christ and we're raised from the dead, our body can't sin anymore. It forgot how to sin. My hands, my hand used to love sinning. Now it didn't know how to sin anymore. It forgot. My head used to love greed and anger. And, and now my brain forgot how to be greedy. He, he's in essence saying, let that happen to us. Let, let it be that you've died. And when you rose again, that now you're a slave, but only unto righteousness. You forgot how to be a sinner. Boy, that'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? And the next thing he says we need to pursue, like a lion catching a gazelle, is godliness, a reverence, a respect, a piety towards God. Just a godly life to walk as the Lord would walk. The next thing is faith. The conviction that God exists and is creator and the ruler of all things, the provider and the bestower of eternal salvation through Christ. In a personal way, faith speaks of a life of faith revealed in all aspects of our lives. David, the great man after God's own heart, it says in Psalms 31.1, In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. I would have loved to see that tweet from Donald Trump a few nights ago. But he's not a man of God. He's a wonderful leader, the president, but he's not a man of God. Let's not confuse, let's not confuse the two. Jesus taught us to have such an attitude of faith. I love it. In Luke 18, 27, he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Mark eleven twenty three. for surely I say to you, whoever says this mountain be removed and cast into the sea does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. In Mark eleven twenty four. therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Pretty cool to have that outrageous faith that Jesus is talking about. And then to pursue love. We know what this word is, don't we? Agape, which is an affection, a benevolence. Love is not simply, however, a feeling, and it is a feeling. I love when love's a feeling, but it's also an action. In John 13, 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, you think what, how Jesus loved us. He had a feeling of love towards us and he left his throne in heaven. He did something and then he said something. Isn't that the truth? He did something and he said something. In Matthew 28, he tells us now in the same way. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus tells us, love as I've loved you. I did something, and I said something. Here's what I want you to do. As you're going about your life in the world, make disciples, teaching them. Do something Say something. 
And 1 John 4, 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I told you guys a while back about a story, and it was true. A guy at his work, it was a pretty difficult place to work, and he was just flying under the radar that he was a Christian. And he was just going along to get along. And, and one of the worst, most ungodly guys in, in his workplace got radically saved. And came back and, and just started telling them what had happened and how he went to church, how he got born again. And he's excited and he's reading his Bible. And now this guy is, is sort of caught. And he's... And, and he's, this guy's trying to tell him about Jesus, trying to lead him to the Lord. And this wasn't just a guy in the church. He was actually a leader in the church. And he had to tell him, he goes, man, I'm, I'm born again. I am saved. I'm really excited about what happened. And he was quite amazed with the guy's response. The guy just got angry at him. He said, I've been in my personal hell for years. If I were to have died, I wouldn't have gone to heaven. I needed God to forgive me. I needed his help. I needed to be able to pray. I needed a clean heart. I needed God for years. And here you were a few feet away from me. And you completely concealed everything that I needed. And he was just trying to ask the question, how is that possible? Had any point you had shared with me, I would have received the Lord. I would have done it years ago. I just simply say, if you love God, then you're gonna love people. And guys, it, the Bible makes it clear, we're not fighting for good, mean, good men to be better. There's none righteous. No, not one. The wages of sin is what? Death. An eternal separation from God. And so again, we come back to this. We are to love. And love, it gets out of the comfortable zone. Love ventures out. Love does the most loving thing we can do. I don't know about you, but I think it's the most loving thing we can do for another person. Knowing that all have sinned, all therefore need forgiveness. And we all have a conscience and all our conscience are wounded and hurting us. Many consciences as get older, become seared and people forget that they used to feel bad about things they're saying and doing. Well, the next thing we're to pursue is patience, a steadfastness, a consistency, an endurance. Solomon sort of looking at life sort of cynical, but yet very accurate, says in Proverbs 20, verse six, most men are, almost every man will proclaim each his own goodness. He'll talk about how great he is at whatever, but who can find a faithful man? Men, men can, you know, get up and hit home runs on occasion. Men can be great at certain things at certain times, but he says, we really don't, need that. We just need consistent men of God. 
and women of God who just power through it, being faithful, always being there, always doing it. No matter what happens, they're being consistent. Also pursue gentleness. Now, in the King James, it translates this meekness. In the New King James, it translates it gentleness or mildness or even humility. Interesting, in the Bible, we only have one description of Jesus that he gives us in Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Here it is. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. In essence, you could say, I'm meek. And you will find rest for your souls. Interesting. Timothy, pursue after being gentle. You know, it it, it is hard to be that, isn't it? You're on the freeway and some guy's cutting you off and trying to get in. And I I do not have that problem. When I see somebody trying to get out, slow down, let them in. Have people cut me off going, hey, I'm glad you got in. No problem. I, I just, but it not used to not be that way. Everything used to make me mad. You know, what's that, that kid say? He's like, man, it's amazing, dad. When mom drives, there's no idiots about. When you drive, everybody's an idiot. How does that happen? Yeah, I know, it's incredible. All the idiots are at home when my mom drives, yeah. Um, But man, it is hard, especially in the youth, to have that gentle spirit. But Jesus came and he's excited to come and he begins his ministry. And he's not some powerful prophet. He's not some big Samson. He's not some royal king with an army. He's not David with the mighty men. He's this poor guy who's from a horrible city. Everybody tries not to go to Nazareth. It's just a horrible place to go. Horrible place to say you're from. And he comes and he's just gentle and lowly of heart. And people find rest for their souls. And the multitudes come. I love that. You know, really... When we think about the church, the church is Christ, isn't it? He's the head, we're the body, but it it should represent Jesus. Whatever we do, we think of Jesus there in Galilee. They came and, and they found rest for their souls. When we come to church, yes, there's times we're going through passages that are challenging, there's time God's taking us through seasons of, of stretching. But for the most part, we should find a rest for our soul, shouldn't we? And if we're not, then we are really not meeting in a way where Jesus can be with us. Jesus said, we're two or three gather in my name, which is synonymous with nature. There I will be in their midst. There should be that gentleness, that meekness, the the healing for the soul when we gather together. Paul mentions this repeatedly, no doubt for a very good reason. In Galatians 6.1, brethren, if a man's overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in, here it is, that word, a spirit of gentleness. 
considering yourself lest you also be tempted. When you see somebody who's sinning and maybe they've been prideful and arrogant and now they've fallen and it's sort of like, I'm not surprised. You know, they were not acting very, you know, it's like, no, don't judge them. Don't condemn them. Just hug them and, and see how you can help heal their lives. That's your only focus. In Ephesians 4, 2, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. In Colossians 3.12, Therefore, as the act of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness. There it is. Long-suffering. 2 Timothy 2.25, In humility, meekness, gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so they may come to know the truth. In Titus 3.2, To speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, Gentle, there it is, showing all humility to all men. And then in verse 12, he tells Timothy, Now fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you also were called. Confess the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. It is a good fight because we are fighting for men's souls. There is no higher, there is no more higher of a, of a fight to have than that. I mean, it's cool when the little kid's getting picked on by the bully. And even though you're not as big as you'd like to be, you stand up to the bully and say, you know what? You're not going to do this without some resistance here. I'm going to stand up. Even if you beat me up, I'm not going to let you keep picking on this little kid. Now, that's a good fight, isn't it? I mean, there are a lot of good fights. But we are fighting for men to be the cause of Satan, the cause of the world and the lust of the world, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life to be taken out of them and for them to come and have their name written in the book of life. There's no greater fight than this fight. I love Joshua when God was helping him to be strong and, and to lead the people. He says in Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I think of that in Acts. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and they were full of boldness. And then they started getting some persecution and and told not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore. And then they got to Acts 4, and they were all afraid again. <laughs> they didn't want to stand up for Jesus. They didn't want to witness. They were getting intimidated by these Pharisees and Sadducees and their guards and the officers. And, and they said, we need to have another day of Pentecost here. And they started praying and saying, God, give us boldness afresh because we're not, we lost it. it. It all disappeared after a few days. And God shook that place to where they were at and filled them with boldness to be a witness again. I love that. Yes, it's a good fight, but we need to be brave soldiers. It is scary, but we need to hear the command of the Lord. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. It is a spiritual fight for spiritual gain. In 2 Corinthians 10.3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in God. For what? Pulling down strongholds. 
casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity and the obedience of Christ. We are fighting against the lying spirit of this age. We know it's a spiritual battle, don't we? We, you know, I've heard so many Christians say this year, it's really not about Democrats or Republicans this year. We are fighting a spiritual battle for the soul. It really is. It's, it's so ironic that Biden says we're fighting for the soul of the nation. I'm like, yeah, you're fighting for a soul. Not the same soul I'm fighting for, but you are fighting for a soul. But it's interesting. The soul he's fighting for is for abortion. The soul he's fighting for is to quit referring to people as men and women and to say there's many genders. The soul he's fighting for is that there would be no more nuclear family of a, a man and a wife and kids, but it takes a village. And we would be open that maybe two homosexuals are raising a child or maybe three men or three women are raising a kid or a transvestite, two transvestites or two transgendered women are raising a child. They have every right. That's, that's what he's fighting for. And you know what I, I look, and I can keep on going down the line here, guys. I mean, it's not, it's insanity. But what, what is it? It's, it's, it's saying God made the world, Adam and Eve, man and woman, and the two became one flesh. God made the two, not the third or the fourth or the fifth. He didn't make Adam and Steve. He made Adam and Eve. And, and, and it's, it's basically saying, I want to dishonor God. I, I want to defame the Christian mindset. It was interesting, the day after the election came out, there was a big article that said, America doesn't stick it to the Republican Party. It tells the conservative Christian they have no voice in America. That's what the article said. And I thought, wow. We all the more need to speak the truth in love because we have to break down these spiritual lies of the enemy. You can tell me 10 times in a row, there's many different genders and I'm gonna come back and tell you, God made the planet <laughs> and he did not make it that way. And it's disfaming, it's dishonoring, it's blasphemy, it's a lie for you to say otherwise. And I also wanna tell you that you're a sinner and your sins are separating you from God. But God loves you and I love you and you need to be born again. Fight the good fight of faith, amen? Woo, let's wake up here. We're going now. We're going now. Going God's way, it's against the flow of this world, and it won't be easy. Therefore, Timothy has to soldier up. He's got to be a soldier determined to go into the battle. Paul will continue on this theme in the second letter of Timothy. He says this in 2 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. You therefore must. 
No option here. You must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And with that, I might say, Happy Veterans Day, November 11th today, <laughs> 2020. Here we are, Happy Veterans Day. Fight the good fight of faith. Rip down those lies of Satan. We are not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against the spirit. And when we step up and fight, we rip down the strongholds of Satan. We do it, guys. When you speak the truth, if you go out tomorrow and tell one person God loves them, they can be forgiven of their sin, have the gift of eternal life by believing in Christ, you tore down the stronghold of Satan. And you lifted up the truth. And you made our planet one, one little notch better. Now, if you go do that 10 times tomorrow, you'll make it even 10 notches better. And then he says, lay hold on eternal life. Such a person is not overwhelmed by the trivial matters, i.e. elections, of this dying world. Instead, they focus on the eternal, pressing towards the eternal things. This is no joke. I, I had my sermon ready, but I, I love to listen to other pastors. And both of them were from decades back. Both of them talked about viruses and, and sicknesses through the world. I think one was maybe Ebola and the other one was H1N1. And they were talking about how these, there was like four major viruses over the last 10 years or whatever, and, and we were due for a pandemic. It was funny listening to it. And then on both of them, there was an election in which the Christians were bummed. And I'm like going, oh my goodness. You know, we think we're like in this thing that's never happened before. But we've been here before. Uh, maybe not this serious, but nevertheless, it's almost like a reminder. It's like people were so excited. It's like I'm, I'm for Trump in our country and I'm for God and I, I love it. You know, we're, we're, we're winning with our government and we're winning with God. And then we're not winning with our government anymore. Well, maybe I shouldn't really care about winning for God either. It was sort of a package. And we need to say, you know what? It never was a package. Okay. I mean, Trump, he praises homosexuality. He praises the transgendered community. He went out of his way to hire some homosexuals and put them in very prominent places because he thinks it's wonderful, okay? He's not some pastor president, okay? And we know there's limitations there. And I think God's been doing a work in his heart and I'm not gonna judge him. But we are not here to build up America and God's kingdom, right? We have one fight <laughs> and it's a good fight. And that's the fight we need to get back to. Leading people to Christ, discipling people in Christ. One who abhors trying to live their life for the earth is to abandon this idea and live for Christ alone. And we need to understand that there is no partial payoff for being a Christian here on earth. I admit, being a Christian is better than being a non-Christian. 
But in a lot of ways, it's just not going to pay off being a Christian, especially a Christian leader. Often I'll have guys being leaders and they're just like, it's, it's more work than it's worth. It's, it's more grief than it's worth. It's more difficult than it's worth. It taxes my marriage. It taxes my family. It taxes my life. It taxes my time. I used to be able to have hobbies. And now that I'm a leader of the church, I, I, I'm just, it's taxing me. And I'm like, yeah, never was it ever going to be a place going, wow, being a leadership in the church, this is really a nice gig. This is, this is really cool. No, being a leader in church was always going to be a difficult thing. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 5, verse 1 through 4. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a, a, a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, also a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not with compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over them entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. When Christ comes and you're in the new kingdom, in your new body in the heavenly kingdom, then the reward will come and it'll be worth it, but not before. For Paul, it cost him everything. Probably cost him his marriage. He was a Pharisee, and you had to be married to be a Pharisee. It, it cost him probably his family. They were all Jews, probably got cut off from that. And we know that he was one who was called to suffer many things for the cause of Christ, ended up being imprisoned for many years. And what does he say in 2 Timothy 1.12? A beautiful hymn. For this reason I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I believed in. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. Do you guys ever, do you guys ever sing that hymn here? I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able. One guy saying no, the other one saying yes. Beautiful hymn. But anyway, he said, I, I'm not, I, here on earth, yes, it looks you know, you can read in First Corinthians, he said, I'm poorly clothed, I poorly eat. Angels are looking at us going, I, I can't believe anybody has it this bad. But he said, it doesn't matter because I've committed it to him until that day. Colossians 3, 1 and 2, if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. How far above? All the way to the throne unto Christ himself upon the throne, where you also will be seated along with Christ. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. Second Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Second Corinthians 5, 1, for we know that our earthly house, this tent is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands. What is it? Eternal in the heavens. Lay hold on eternal life. The rewards in heaven for being a leader, as Timothy was. The rewards of many, many that God's going to give us. Things that we've lost in this world will gain in the life to come. And we're trusting in the eternal, which is not something we can see. We walk by faith, not by sight. Our bodies are there for us, a brand new body. It's eternal in the heavens. Second Corinthians 4, verse 17 to 18. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and what? 
eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are what? Eternal. We need to walk by faith, not by sight. He also says to grab onto these things of eternity to which you were called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, interesting, Timothy was called, so he was drafted, but he also volunteered. He confessed, (laughs) this is a good thing. So he needed to stop and remember, he wasn't just doing it because he was drafted, he also volunteered. But he wasn't doing it just because he volunteered, he also was drafted. So he was called, but he also freely chose it. It's a good confession of proclaiming Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32, those who will confess me before men, first he says, I'll confess you before my Father who's in heaven. In Luke 12, 8, he said, I'll confess you before all the heavenly angels. We forget those are Jesus's buds. Michael and Gabriel and San. Uh, the seraphim and the seraphim, they, they've known each other for thousands of years, more than they've known us. And Jesus is like, guys, look who's here. Go-hoo! Father, they're here. Why should I let you into this kingdom? Your son, Jesus, his blood, he died. And I believed, I trusted in his work, that his death and resurrection. Yeah, that's okay. You're good, have a seat. <laughs> But I also might say the opposite's true. If you deny him, and you can deny him not by just denying him, but by not confessing him, right? Do we understand that? Denying the Lord is just not a commission of denying him, but you can deny the Lord with a commission of not confessing him when you should confess him by just staying silent. There's two ways to deny him, right? By denying him, but then by not confessing when you should, or standing up for him when you should. So in Matthew 10, 33, the very next thing says, he denies me before men, I'll deny him before my Father in heaven. In Luke, he says, I'll deny him before the holy angels. Interesting, the number one thing that God condemns on this earth, casting it into the lake of fire, in Revelation 21.8, is cowardly. Interesting that, that down the list is abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters. What's before all those things? Those things are pretty bad, aren't they? But you know what's before them? Being a coward. Satan, he, he wants the name of Jesus cruising around. But he loves to twist it. He, he loves to hear the name of Jesus by those who are wanting to dishonor him or minimize him. You'll hear construction workers hitting their fingers, proclaiming the name of Jesus all day long at the construction site. Jehovah Witnesses will proclaim him as an angel. The Mormons will proclaim him as the brother of Lucifer. And a man who now has elevated to be a god from a different planet. Yeah, he, he wants people to talk about Jesus only to blaspheme that name. And that 
is the spirit of the Antichrist. In 1 John 4, verse 3 through 6, every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which is you have heard from the, from the beginning and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children. I've overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I'm going to read that again. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. They are therefore they speak from the world and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who does not, is not of God, does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Do do we understand that our job is twofold? Remember in Ezekiel, He said, Ezekiel, go tell the people if they don't repent, I'm bringing destruction. And Ezekiel says, not this time. And God says, Ezekiel, you know. So now you you can't not do something. By not doing something, you are guilty. Let me explain it. If there's a, a flood coming and I know it's coming, and I just simply walk and say, hey guys, see, I'm gonna go for a little walk, and you walk up the top of the hill and the whole village dies, you are guilty. If they find out later you knew about it and you didn't say anything about it, you're guilty, right? And so I'm telling you that they're gonna die in their sins if they don't repent. So if you don't tell them, I'm holding you guilty. But if you go tell them, and they reject that word, then you're innocent of the blood of those people. Paul uses that same phrase in Acts 20. He says to the Ephesian church, I preach to you night and day the whole truth. I am innocent of the blood of preaching the whole counsel of God. So in essence, he said to Ezekiel, I need you to go and tell people and give them the opportunity to reject. I need to hear them reject it. And then you're, you're innocent and, and they're accountable. Just like I told you. And now it's up to you. You received it. So you're going to be saved. But I, I, it's the same thing. Jesus makes it clear that he went out to city after city. And he said, if you come to a city and they reject you, don't waste your time. Kick the dust off. Go to the next city. There's more cities than you'll get to. There's more cities and exist than you're going to be able to get to. So it's okay if people reject it. You didn't fail. You didn't, you weren't, you know, I'm not very good at this. I'm not a very good communicator. I, you know, I'll let Ray Comfort evangelize. He's good at it, you know, or whatever. No, we're not, we, we, we understand. The spirit of Antichrist is already in the world that most of the people already will only listen to that which tickles their ears. Good is evil and evil is good. They're of the world. They're only going to listen to evil and not good. And all the good you speak is going to seed in them as evil. That's the majority of what's happening. And it's happening quicker every day. Fewer and fewer ears will hear. We are in the last days. That's okay. But you go out and give them an opportunity to reject or receive. If we don't openly, boldly proclaim Christ then who is? Who are we counting on to do this job? Your neighbor, does he, does he know the way of salvation? I don't know. 
Whose job is it? Whose, whose job is it? Who, who is going to do it? Give me your address. I'll go do it for you. You come and do my neighbors. It's a little hard to talk to neighbors, isn't it? Um, <laughs> our job to others is having the blessing of them having a good confession. If we share the Lord with them and they believe, and if they confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in their heart that God raised them from the dead, then you'll be saved. For the heart one believes unto righteousness or unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. Hang on to that good confession. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. And we come before you, God, and we confess you. We have a great good confession. We've confessed that you are Lord. God raised you from the dead and that you alone are the way, the truth, and life. You alone are the way into the Father. That you who are perfect in righteousness paid for our sins, dying with our sins upon you. And now you will declare us as a gift righteous as you are righteous, Jesus. That even though now we're in these women sinful bodies and struggle and fight to live a life pleasing unto you that, that we don't have to be grieved or worried or fret. If we sin, you're faithful and righteous to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But at the same time, it's in our heart to want to walk as you, even as you walk, to be as fruitful and loving and kind and patient, as good as you are. Lord, help us now to go out and not deny you with saying nothing. <laughs> but to go out and confess you before men and give them the opportunity to have a good confession and that for them to be able to lay hold on eternal life and for them to be able to flee from the strongholds and the piercing through of greed and anger and lust and bitterness and, and Satan just filling their heads with lies. Lord, please use us, God. How lovely on the feet are those, on the mountain are those of the feet who go to spread good news. Let us have that opportunity. Give us boldness, Lord. Pour out your spirit upon us. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen, and amen.